Who is Kaiser Soze? He's supposed to be Turkish. Some say his father was German. Nobody ever believed he was real. Nobody ever knew him or saw anybody that ever worked directly for him. But to hear Kobayashi tell it, anybody could have worked for Soze. You never knew. That was his power. Okay, folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 144, and today we're going to be talking about The Usual Suspects. This great and fantastic film stars Gabriel Byrne, Kevin Spacey, Stephen Baldwin, Kevin Pollock, and Chaz Palamentary, I think. And an honorable mention goes to... Uh, Benicio El Toro, who was in this movie for a brief period of time, but uh, boy, he chewed scenery every little bit he was in it. So there you go. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark. I'll probably shit blood tonight after this podcast. Slower. English. Oh, I'm sorry. We got a team of monkeys working around the clock on this podcast. <laughs> Very well done. Nice. Like it. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't even started drinking yet. Okay. And also joining us is Ken, the Prince of Darkness, Roni. Listeners may have wondered by now what compels... Mark, Jeff, and I to serve on this podcast. On December 3rd, 2010, Mark was coming out of the liquor barn laden with two cases of old Fezziwig when he jostled into a gentleman walking out the door. That gentleman dropped the case of bourbon he was carrying. That case of bourbon was intended to be delivered to Kaiser Steve. <laughs> Kaiser Steve! Wow. On July 5th. <laughs> He's not done. 29. Jeff, after picking up the boys at the pool, backed in to a light post, unknowingly causing it to fall and short out a power line. That power line was delivering electricity to a nearby cinema that was hosting a Milhovovich film festival. Sitting in that audience was Kaiser Steve. Not Kaiser Steve! And me, on July 4th, 2013, I was seated observing a fireworks show. A flaming rocket intended to Eliminate a Hungarian mobster who was menacing some nearby women was deflected by my chair, thwarting and letting the Hungarian get away. Without knowing it, that rocket was launched by Kaiser Steve. Not Kaiser Steve! When you cross Kaiser Steve, he will get his revenge. 
Unless he passes out drunk. Thus, the podcast. <laughs> Bravo, Ken. That was standing. Oh, my God. All right. Well, is it uh, is it midnight yet? Oh, my. I don't know how I – you know what? There, I don't think there's ever going to be a follow-up that's going to pass I, that one. That's, I, I can't. Let's just do the show. Yep, yep. There's going to be <laughs> nothing, nothing I can say. All right. Uh, there you go, folks. That's – Ken, I don't even want to say very well done. That that was <clears throat> that was out-f***ing-standing. Brilliant. Uh, especially the uh, – recalling the Battle of Rum Chowda. That was, that was awesome. Um <laughs> – <laughs> and last and certainly not least, folks, you heard his voice. You heard his laugh. It's about as uh, it's, it's about, as, about as obvious as a Wilhelm scream. Our other good dear friend Jeff. Well, he he'll be talking like a Thai hooker, Muncie. <laughs> uh, you know the way I hear it. Uh, Steve is some kind of podcaster, a peerless, psycho, drunken podcaster. Thanks, Jeff. That'd be me. Appreciate that. Well, there you go, folks. That had to have been probably one of the longest introductions of uh, of the Man Cave Movie Review in its in its uh, short history, going on three years. Actually, Jeff, it's what next is week? It, I think next week's going next to week be three is years. Three years. Yeah. Wow. You know what that really means, don't you? What? We haven't been down to Tony's in three years. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's time to go. Yeah, we we need to make a pilgrimage. I will actually do a little bit write up about that. And explain why we mentioned uh, we haven't been down to Tony's in three years. But, yeah, I was going to say, we, we probably need to give a little backstory on how this thing even ever came about yes. in one drunken night in the basement of, a, of an Italian's home. Mm-hmm. That sounds really bad. It did, but, didn't but it? We didn't bury anybody. <laughs> Just saying. But we Our- found an empty bank vault. <laughs> We found a lot of empty beer bottles, too. Oh, but anyway. All right, folks, we're done. We're done with that part. So we are now going to talk about this great and fantastic film, The Usual Suspects. Uh, as I said, there this was an all-star cast. Made in 1995, the director was Brian Singer. As I said, the, the actors. I don't think any of these guys were, like, really big time, except maybe Gabriel Byrne. He'd been around for a while. Kevin Pollock was kind of, I mean, he'd been around since about the 80s. He was a stand-up comedian want to talk about him a little bit later but um i'm just going to say this right off the bat guys you know for those of you listening we're going to talk about this movie and we're going to talk about it in detail if you have not seen this movie please do not listen to the show right now uh stop the podcast go watch the movie it is streaming on netflix correct me if i'm wrong gentlemen i believe it still is well, I think every, any self-respecting man would have this in the collection, really. Well, I mean, you may have some young, young, uh, young men out there who haven't seen it. So I'm just, I'm just giving fair warning. We I, are I'm going to make a suggestion, idea. which is if you have not seen it, shut off the podcast and go watch it twice. Uh, yeah. or in my case, three times. But then again, I was drinking. So that, that's my excuse. It's a compelling movie, but if you have not seen it, please uh, stop listening now. Come back and listen to us uh, rant about this uh, later. But we're going to be giving stuff away because we can't really talk about it without giving stuff away. So that being said, let's talk about this movie. And before we go into a whole lot of detail, we're, we're just going to go on to the Man Cave movie intro to this great and fantastic film. 
When five criminals meet at a seemingly random police lineup, things take a strange turn into the surreal. Who is Kaiser Soze? No, no, sweetie, it's Shose. Who is Kaiser Shitsu? No, Shose. Soyuz? Wait, isn't that a Russian spaceship? <clears throat> Good lord, no, it's pronounced Shose. Is that Schultz Booker? Are you drunk? Kaiser Sose. That's Schultz Booker. <laughs> um, seriously, you two need to get your own podcast. Yeah, she was hitting the bottle pretty hard that night. I haven't seen her like that in about uh, ten years. <clears throat> anyway, so there you go, folks. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the usual suspects, and uh, like the guy said, you know, this it's been around there. It's a it's twenty year old movie. I'm going to open it up. What do you guys think? Well, actually, you know what? Let me make a real quick comment. I think this is one of those movies that's got that twist at the end, and you never see it coming. And you see movies like this all the time. I mean, Shamalama Ding Dong did these all the time, you know, with The Sixth Sense and stuff like that. But you never saw this one. I mean, you even watch it again after seeing it, you still don't see it coming. And I think that's really a very good testament to how this movie was shot because it's shot in that, you know, flashback sort of way. You never saw the ending. Even if you're paying attention, you're never going to catch it. Those are my thoughts. I've got a few other things, but uh, I'm just going to open up for discussion. Jump in. Actually, you know what, Jeff? You haven't been here for a while, so please speak up. Well, hey, thanks, Steve. I'm a busy man, but um, I'm glad I could uh, make time tonight for the podcast. Steve, to touch on the ending, I, I may... Just put it out there that I think it's one of the one of the best endings of a movie. You know, a lot of times we have talked about how movies just don't know how to end, and there was some great care to craft this story and tell it, like you said, the 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 the, the cinematography and the photography of this, which is some of, I think some of the thing the best you're going to see. Um, I think it's a it's a it's a study on how good photographers who who um and directors who have a good vision for what a movie is going to be and and have a lot of care and love um can tell a great story through the photography um and through through um even when the actors at times are 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 very cardboardish in the delivering their lines which I think I'll we'll get into later but the end of this movie I think you said it best. You you can't see it coming because it was so well designed. And when you realize at the end the ride that you have been on, and not just you, but really the ride that everybody has been taken on. And I know we're not we don't want to um, we're not worried about spoilers tonight. And I'm glad you put that out there. Right. But the the way that they crafted this story. I, it was, it, this is one of the first movies I put into my DVD collection because I feel it, it, it should and has to be there. And I'm glad we did. I haven't pulled it out in a while, but it is such a well constructed movie. I, I question anybody to, to, to point out one that was better. It's been recognized in a, in many settings and it's received many, many awards. And it was one of the, you know, top movies of that year. I'm like you guys. I mean, I think this is one of those great film noir movies in some respects. 
this heat, we we have. I, I would put this in the probably as a trifecta with L.A. Confidential and Heat of movies that we've reviewed that um, are of that reborn genre of the film noir because this came out in '95. I think right around the same time Heat did. This is another one of those movies, and we've had a couple of them, that has no central big-name star. It has a lot of great character actors, and a number of them who were very relatively unknown, like Benicio Del Toro has gone on to do a lot of stuff. Um, and then some have never really cracked in, like Stephen Baldwin. Uh, and then obviously Kevin Spacey has gone on to an incredible career, and this got him his first Oscar, I believe, memory serves. Yes. It's a very understated movie, and it the great thing Jeff and I were talking about um, pre-show is this is a narrative. This is a criminal telling everyone what they want to hear. And whether or not that's exactly what happened, only he knows. Even when he walks out, whatever he just told everybody, the only thing you know is a lot of people died on a boat. And the story he unpacked, well... That's clearly not the story, but that's what we're left with, and it's really well done. Right. This is one of those movies where you look at a lot of the actors uh, that we talked about. you got Benicio Toro, Kevin Spacey. This is, I mean, this is early Kevin Spacey. He really hadn't made a name for himself yet. Yeah, yeah. 1995 was his breakthrough year. I think he did about three or four movies, and all of them, he just got all sorts of kudos. What else did he do in 95? Because I honestly don't remember. Um, he well, did Outbreak. There was Outbreak. Oh, there was yeah. Seven. And then L.A. Confidential came out two years after this. He was in Seven? Oh. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. I saw that movie one time. I walked out. I thought it was the good movie. I said, never again will I watch that, though. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, because that's the thing. To me, Kevin Spacey, the the first thing I ever saw him in, and uh, I know we're drifting off a little bit, but that's what we do here. I, I mean, I saw him in L.A. Confidential, and I've seen him in you know a bunch of other stuff since then. But you know, this is the one I don't really remember. Uh, you mean The Usual Suspects? Well, here's the thing. When I first saw this movie, I remember I went to the theater to see it, and okay. I remember walking out going, "I have no idea what I just saw." <laughs> and guys, I really kind of want to get into this bit. We talked about, like you said, L.A. Confidential. It's a complex movie. You have to pay attention. In this movie, you don't have to just pay attention. You have to, like, start drawing diagrams, take cliff notes. Forget the ham sandwich. You better have this shit catered. If you even look away for a second, you're going to miss something. I mean, even to this day, after seeing this several times, I still have to watch and really pay attention to what's going on because... There are so many things going on, so many people involved, so many names being thrown around that it's tough to follow. I, and to be honest with you guys, I'm really kind of surprised it did as well as it did because I would have thought, because when I, when I first saw it, full disclosure, when I walked out, I'm like, this freaking movie sucked. I have no idea what the frick was going on. Never even made connections at the end. I'm like, I don't even know who the hell is who or what they're even talking about. Because, like Mark said, you had the narrative thing going on, and it's a lot of flashbacks, you know, flash forwards. And we're cutting to scenes that, unless you're really paying attention, why, why am I talking to this, 
burned up Hungarian dude in L.A. I have no idea. So it, it's weird like that. But once you actually kind of put all the pieces together, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is great. But it's hard to follow. It's hard. And I think that's the biggest drawback in this movie. I, Steve, I totally see your point. I can understand it. Um, when I first saw this, um, I don't – I can't remember if I went to the movie theater and saw it. I definitely was old enough in 95. I don't remember if I went out and saw it. When I, when the movie was over, I felt I understood the movie. And the movie made perfect sense. But what I – what what I think you point out is somebody could easily be turned off on this if at the end of the movie they realize that what they just saw and what actually happened are two different things. And when the movie's over, you heard a f- mostly fake story and you don't know what really happened. So therefore, you either leave really impressed by the story and going, wow, that was really – amazing and well done and what a fantastic ending or you leave pissed off and saying i wasted two hours of my life i watched a movie and i don't know what happened um it is and it it i think it's all intentional as far as that's what they wanted they wanted to have a very complicated story they and i um i think it was very heat-esque where they were wanting, you know, a lot of players, a lot of characters, a lot of different scenes, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of interesting story. And then in the end, when they pull the rug out from underneath you, again, I think it's one of the best endings ever in a movie. You're left going, I think everybody, and that's what they wanted, left the theater or left, you know, their seats and said, what the hell was that? Right. And I think that that's what they wanted because – Guys, can you think of any other movie that did anything remotely like this to this level? Speaking of that, Heat's on right now on Encore. Wow. Just sidebar. Go on. When you say I can, well, I mean, can, can you guys think of any other movie that leaves you walking away going, what the hell was that? But at the same time, you, at least I felt, very rewarded by what I saw. But I felt like it's a, it's like a thinking person's movie. It's all there. And they wrap it up in the end and letting you know that this was a made-up story. At least most of it was. You don't know what was real. You don't know what was fake. All you know is somebody got away with a lot of murder. There, as commented earlier, there's a lot of movies out there where the writers decide to you know, like just throw a big surprise ending in on you. But usually those feel pretty forced and unsatisfying. This one here, like I think Steve said, it throws you for a loop, but you're going, you know, at least I'm going like, that's awesome. You know, I, I, but yeah, you, to me, you have to watch it and then go back and watch it again to, re, you know, you have to realize what's going on because if you just watch it without knowing anything, all of a sudden it just hits you. And, you know, all the things we talked about, it's true. You gotta, you gotta have an open mind. Mark. I'm try- I was just trying to think of anything that got close to what Jeff was asking about another movie that pulled this kind of a twist, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, the, the Crying Game. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Let me clarify my question. Is there any other Man Cave movie out there that we can discuss that does what I was referring to? Ah, well, he's, he's a man, baby. <laughs> Well, you know, we, but here's the thing, guys. What I'm getting is that they do this a lot in movies. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it in The Sixth Sense. 
We saw it with, well, one of the movies we did, Lucky Number Slevin. I'm trying to think of another one. There's another one that's on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of it. But it's that, it's that twist at the end. Gosh, never saw it coming. Well, if you're paying attention, you saw it coming. Did you see this coming? No. No, you didn't. No, you're right. With Lucky Number Slevin, um, with Payback, I mean, you saw some, I mean, you could see yeah. some of this stuff coming. Yeah. But like you said, Steve, I thought you said it very well. Even when you go back and watch this movie again, you still can't see it coming. Right. To be honest with you, Jeff, you actually made a very good point. How much of the whole Kaiser Soje was made up? You know, all the stuff that he said. I think it's like there was like a persona built up around this guy. But how much of it's true? How much of it's not? Um and, and and the thing of it is, you never know really who it is. And, I mean, especially when you start getting towards the end, when you think who Kaiser Soje is, and then you find out, well, actually it wasn't him. Uh, I, I, and like you said, probably one of the best endings to a movie, the reveal at the end when when uh, the, the, the customs guy, uh, what the hell is his name? Uh, uh, Kuja, Kure, Ku, Kobayashi. Kubiashi. Like Chaz Palminteri. Yeah, Chaz Palminteri. Yeah, when he's sitting there looking at the board and he starts realizing that son of a bitch, you know, because I've been had. I just got had, you know, and then the fax machine is spitting. Well, I, I still love the old fax machines back then where it was still, it was like rolled up. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> it just goes to show how old. Yeah, how it's old. pre-internet, really. Yeah, yeah it's very pre-internet. But, I mean, again, one of the best endings because it, it just slowly develops. And, and like you said, Jeff, the cinematography, how they showed his realization and they kind of do the, the pan back to uh, verbal and then back to him and then verbal walking on the street. It, it's just so well done. And that's where you start realizing, well, this guy really does exist. And it's not who anybody would have ever thought was the person because you know i mean you almost realize i mean this guy's not he's not just a criminal he's a dumbass but boy did he play it right yeah he's he's a genius brilliant dumbass yes who can it what what uh what i found fascinating about this you were you kind of alluded to it that the the you didn't you don't know who this guy is Kaiser Soze, but everybody else does. And it's one of those, it's, it's like the boogeyman for the bad guys. Right. And everybody knows the reputation, whether it is reputation, legend, myth, whatever it is, it's been well-established and accepted to the point of when the name is mentioned, it's almost like Candyman or, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I can't remember the other one. Oh, Beetlejuice. Um, you know, you just, you, 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 you carefully say the name and, and, and there's a hush. That scene where, where, where Kaiser Soze is revealed, not the one, not, not in the hospital, but when they're, when the, when the core group of thieves realizes who they're dealing with, you see the collective panic come across their face. Right. It's one of the great, great scenes in the movie. Right. And, and you know that, okay, this isn't some, you know, this guy in theory. No, no, this, this is well accepted. And, and even, even the police, once they catch wind that Kaiser Soze is, 
may be responsible for this. They are on. I mean, it's it's like an APB. It's like all hands on deck to figure out yep. where this guy is. Right. And and that was it. That all the pieces were moving because of one person's name. And it was again a testament to to the the great writing in this movie. And I'll just say that is actually an awesome name. Oh yes, I mean it really is. And 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 really, when you think about it, I mean that's kind of uh, the, you know the whole Kaiser Soze is what the hell is the thing? I mean, it's like part of the, uh, the you know, the vernacular or the uh, pop culture, I should say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's one of those names where you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, everybody should know who that is. So I and, and I really give a lot of credit to this movie for doing it. And like I said, this is not a knock on the movie. I really enjoy this movie. But it's you if you have not seen this movie, man, you really have to sit there and pay attention because, man, there's a lot of moving parts. And there's a lot of characters in this movie. And it, it moves around a lot. And part of the problem is is because it flips back and forth. It's the, it's the interrogation of verbal, and then there's all the action going on. Well, Steve, since you mentioned actors, maybe this is a good time to just go down who the actors were in this movie. Yes, let's do that. So, all right, uh, let's see. we got Gabriel Byrne. He was um, shice. He was, uh, he played Dean Keaton. Dean Keaton. And, um, you know, he was kind of like this, uh, you know, badass hijacker, uh, criminal dude who used to be a cop, got busted a few times, but went straight. And he's trying to do the right thing, but he just gets sucked back in like they all do. Actually, the one guy that I really like in this movie, man, I'm just jumping around on the, on the cast list, Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock is, for those of you guys who don't know, he is pretty much, uh, he played Hockney. He was pretty much, uh, in the day, a stand-up comedian. Very funny. I'll tell you what, this guy could do impersonations like no one's business. As a matter of fact, you want to see a real good Kevin Spacey impersonation? <laughs> you look at Kevin Pollock. Type in Kevin Pollock, Kevin Spacey. It's, it's, it's actually kind of creepy. It's so well done. The um, other movie people would be familiar with him in is uh, A Few Good Men. Yes. He, yeah. He played the other attorney with um, Tom Cruise. Yes. Back Tom Cruise up. He did a really good job in that role. And, you know, the thing of it is, is that it's really interesting. I, I mean, he's really a good actor. And it's when he's in movies, he actually plays some pretty serious parts. And yep. he really pulls off um, you know, a, a very good role in this one. And I was... I was really impressed with him in this. And I, I, I mean, I like Kevin Pollack. Um, and just so you know, Star Wars fans, uh, type in Kevin Pollack, uh, Shatner. You will see some of the best Star Wars impersonations ever. Star Trek. I'm sorry, Star Trek. <clears throat> now you got, uh, Stephen Baldwin, who, uh, I think this is the only movie I've ever seen him in. He is one of the Baldwin brothers, obviously. Uh, I have no idea what else he's been in. I think he does a lot of independent stuff. Yes, he did. Yeah. So He still does. He's still pretty busy. Is he? All right. One of the other guys, Gabriel Byrne, he's pretty much the main actor, is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is Ken alluded to. He is uh, Keaton in this movie. Yes, we've seen him in two movies that we have done. We uh, Excalibur. Uh, he was Uther Pendragon, which is his first movie, I believe. And uh, Guys Miller's Crossing. Yep. Where we got the hi-hat. 
<laughs> well, he got the hi hat. He got the hi hat. <laughs> Guys, you know what? I was actually listening to that one the other day. <laughs> That's actually one of our better shows. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. And it's a good uh, movie. it is. It's a very good movie. Right. My favorite Coen Brothers movie. Yep, absolutely. Uh, obviously, Kevin Spacey. What what can you say? The guy got uh, he got best supporting actor and an Oscar for this. So, and he carries the movie. Yes. Well, you oh know, my gosh, yes, he does. But but it, really, it's him and Chaz Palminteri. Yeah. Which I like Chaz. I mean, he's he he did a he was really hot back there in the mid nineties. He was very busy. He's still out there, but uh, yeah, this is one of his better roles. And you know the thing of it is, is that this is one of those movies where you go, who who's the main actor? Because you're you're kind of torn. Is it Gabriel Byrne? Is it Kevin Spacey? Or is it Chaz? You don't really. I mean, this is one of those movies where who who's the main dude? There it is depends the- on what you know. Is it the interrogation period or the actual action? You know, the the the, the caper period, right? Because yeah, it's really in one way you're going like, oh, this is this is it is it's. Gabriel Byrne is the main character of the group of thieves. Uh, but then the, the, the real core of the movie to me is the back and forth interplay between, uh, Paul Mentari and Kevin Spacey's character. Okay. Well, it truly is an ensemble movie because all of these guys, with the exception of, um, probably Benicio del Toro, really get some opportunities to shine and he gets a couple great little moments but it 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 is an ensemble movie and the other guy who i think is really good in this movie is pete postlewaite who plays kobayashi yes Mm -hmm. yes yeah good good call mark yeah he he is great and he's been in a bunch of stuff if you've seen inception he was in that he was in um oh gosh he's sadly no longer with us um, he was also in Clash of the Titans in 2010. Yep. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what, there's one female role in this movie, and that's, um, that's Susie Amos. She plays, uh, oh God, what the hell is her name? Edie Fennerin. Edie Fennerin. That is Gabriel Burns, uh, squeeze girlfriend. And, and go ahead, Jeff. Do you know? We've seen her in one other movie. Yes, we have. Yes. The Great Fandango. Yes. That's going back a ways. That's going way back a ways. That is like one of the, is that year one, maybe? Something like that. That was her first movie role. Well, I'd like to call out, too, another good character actor who I I think anybody who's been watching a lot of movies has seen him, and he does a good job here, and that's Dan Hadaya. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sergeant Rabin. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Great. Perfect for that role. Yep. No, all right. So yeah, Dan Hadai was very good. There's there's a few other character actors in this, not much. But what um, are we talking about? Zed? Yeah, Zed. Oh, there's Oh about, yes. I forgot about Zed. The, how can we forget about Zed? How do we forget about Zed? Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> Zed's dead. And this is the second movie with Zed and Gimp. Oh, oh we better slower. clarify. Really? We're talking about Peter Green, who played Redfoot the Fence. Oh my god. But He's probably known to more people as Zed from Pulp Fiction. Because, you know, how's Zed now? Zed's dead, baby. Hey, I, I 
have a little bit of trivia, which I'll throw out here. Giancarlo Esposito, who played yeah. uh, FBI agent Jack Bear, who did a great job. I mean, he he was on the case from the get-go. But uh, he was the one guy who was ahead of the curve. Yes. He almost, yep. almost succeeded. Well, all right, guys, we're going to move on to trivia. There's some good stuff here. So let's see. We've got, all right, number one, the lineup scene uh, was scripted as a serious scene, but after a full day of filming, uh, takes where the actors couldn't keep a straight face, director Brian Singer decided to use the funniest takes. A making of the documentary show Singer becoming furious at the actors for the constant cracking up. In an interview, Kevin Pollack states that the hilarity came about when Benicio Del Toro farted like 12 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Which at that point, when I read this trivia, I said, you know, if we did a remake of this movie where we started it, that would be Muncie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Del Toro himself said somebody farted, but no one knew who. And I'm, I'm, we would know if it was Muncie. Oh, I'd let you know. Yep. All right. Uh, when Redfoot flicks his cigarette into the face of McManus, it was originally intended to hit his chest. So his reaction is actually unscripted. And, uh, Brian Singer decided to keep it in the movie. And I saw that. I was like, you know what? I would have kicked that son of a bitch's ass. I'm like, you just flicked a cigarette right in my eye. I would have, oh man, I'd have, how these guys maintain their composure. I mean, there were some bad feelings that came out of this movie. Oh, Pollock and Baldwin, supposedly. Oh, they hated each other. And Gabriel Byrne was pissed when he saw the end of the movie. Because he thought he was Kaiser Soze. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The part of verbal Kent was always intended for Kevin Spacey. Uh, guys, th again, this is one of those things where I always say when you hear about these, like, mega-budget movies, and I know it's 1995, it's 20 years ago, but uh, brace yourselves, folks. Shot on a budget of $6 bucks over a period of 35 days. Yeah, just goes to show you what you can do if you, you know, watch your pennies and just get down to work. Well, again, I, I know there's not a ton of special effects and all that, but I mean, when you start thinking about when they talk, well, we spent $125 million to make this movie. For what? It, it does it really cost that much? I mean, really? I, I, whatever. Well, a lot of it gets eaten up if you've got a bunch of big A-list actors. But, you know, these guys, and I left the thing out, these guys said they took a little bit of a pay cut on this. And, again, yep. none of these guys were A-list, but they were still known in 95. I mean, people knew who they were. Yeah, they'd all been working. Most of them have been working for, like, 10 years. I'm yeah. Sure. But sometimes it's they look at the script and they go, you know, this is worth doing. Yeah. This is worth, this is worth taking the hit for. Right. Well, <clears throat> all right, Benicio and I, I apologize if I'm screwing this guy's name up. Benicio del Toro's bizarro dialect in the film was reportedly so unintelligible that during one scene, actor Stephen Baldwin actually forgot his cue doing, uh, due to being unable to understand what he had just said. I couldn't understand. And I just want to say something. I love that guy. He's got a look about him. And guys, remember that very first scene when you seen him, when he's walking around on the sidewalk? Could, yes. Was that about as close as you can get? 20th century flouncing and mincing? 
<laughs> I mean, seriously, and men pretty well. And he had the he had the dress for it too. He, he did. The- I mean, well, it's sort of like the John Travolta strut sort <laughs> of. Uh, he had the colored shirt too, the red shirt. Yes, I loved it. I mean, I I saw that and I went, "There you go. There, that's he's he's flouncing and mincing. It's yeah. awesome. I loved it." All right. Uh, throughout the movie, the f bomb and its derivatives are used ninety eight times, which uh, I was kind of surprised. I thought it was a little bit higher than that, but uh, there the, you go. The question is, how many times was the term <laughs> sucker used? <laughs> Couldn't that, understand half the time when Benicio del Toro said it because it's like, oh. yeah, I was looking for Mister Wu to come out of the woodwork. <laughs> How many times have we had uh, del Toro on here? I know we had him in Snatch, right? I think that's it. That's so. This is the second time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, he's he's gone on to big things. I mean, he's a director and Guardians. Oh of yeah, the- he's he's big now. I mean, all these guys are. Some of these guys are pretty big. Yeah. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Who was? Benicio del Toro. That's coming on Stars here soon, by the way. I've yes. got it on DVD. I haven't watched it yet. So, Steve, I, I, I think you're gonna like it. Here's what I want you to do. I right. want you to go in with not zero expectations, but like oh, negative expectations. Have me. no expectations trust below me. zero. Trust me, I am. I am. Okay. That's why it's been sitting on my uh, DVD or Blu-ray player for about two weeks. I, it's... I, th- I think you're gonna like it. All right. I do. I think you'll really like it, don't you? I do. I think well, be, like because it. the raccoon talks. Well, I mean, even with that, wow. just I mean, ignore that and just look at it as a sci-fi movie. You'll be fine. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see. Stephen Baldwin was wary about joining the production, and he was tired of taking part in independent films that turned out to be merely exploitive. Whatever the hell that means. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, guy. Uh, Mark, you'll like this one. Michael Bean was the first role for the choice of McManus and was approached about taking the role but had to turn it down because of his commitment to Jade. He would have been great as McManus. Yeah, I, I you know, I really miss that guy. You don't see him anymore. He so. makes Grindhouse movies now. Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, I really liked him. Well, this was at his, I mean, again, mid-90s, Michael yeah. Bean was still very busy. Can, can I, I, I have a little bit of trivia. Sure, knock it out. Uh, talking about actors who were approached but didn't get in the movie, uh, Chaz Palminteri's agent Kujan was also offered to Christopher Walken, Robert De Niro, who both turned it down, and they had Al Pacino come in, and he read for it, but then decided he couldn't do it because he was already committed to heat. Uh, I like that. Yes. You know, I, I, can you imagine walking during the reveal? That would have been awesome. I could see walking in that role. Oh, yeah. all of those guys. And also, uh, Del Toro's Fenster character was supposed to be going to a Harry Dean Stanton type of guy, but Del Toro convinced him that, you know, he'd be better. Well, he did a better job. Here you got. I got a couple more for you. Shoot. Soze translates to verbal in Turkish, meaning the twist was obvious in Turkey. Oh. Or verbal leaves the station, he's handed back his belongings, which include a gold watch and a gold lighter. Kaiser Soze is seen using both earlier in the movie. 
To make the disability more realistic, Kevin Spacey had his fingers glued together. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Benicio Del Toro decided that he was playing, are you ready for this? A black Chinese Puerto Rican Jew. <laughs> well, still- I also read that when when he came in and just started making that accent up and like just mumbling and all, you know, it was spontaneous. I mean, he told the director he was going to do it, but he didn't. Nobody told any of the actors. So when they're acting like they can't understand them, it's like because they can't understand them, right? And then also, he was on record as saying that, well, you know, nobody really needs to understand me because my purpose in this movie is to get killed. Yep. And and to that point, when the characters are handed their manila envelopes containing their personal details, the order references the order in which they die. Nicely done. Uh, Guys, before we move on to uh, Brother What You're Drinking, I just want to go over, because I know we all like this movie, favorite scenes. Barring the ending, what do you guys think? Jeff, go first. Um, one of my okay, I I can tell you one of my favorite shots in the movie. Chaz Palminteri is interrogating Kevin Spacey's character, Verbal, and you know the thing is, you're being sold that Chaz has this. He has this thing figured out. He knows what's going on, and he's he's dry, He's like trying to let Verbal know that he knows what's going on. And trying to get him to admit that that's what's going on so he can close this case. As he's like sitting there just like, you know, kind of yelling at him. Uh, and But he's behind him and lecturing him and telling him that this is the way that it is and uh, just, just you know, say it. And and this goes to the camera work. I mean, if you in that office, if you watch the camera work, the camera work between the way that they go back and forth between Spacey and Chaz – and then how they both have them in the same shot. Their faces are in the same shot. And you got the focus on one and then back to the other. It is it is great camera work. And I like that way that they, that they shot that back and forth. But there's this, there's this moment where Chaz is letting him know he's got this figured out. And a small little smile creeps across his face. And before that, he's just like, he's in one of those like tense agonizing moments where he's just, you know, he's like, he's just, you know, put, playing it up, playing it up, playing it up. And it, it gets behind him and he lets a little smile creep in. And I thought that was so well done because when you watch it the second time, you can see, yeah, I've got this right. This is a made up story. And he's let this little smile creep on to let the camera know or let you know, the audience, that there's something amiss here. It's not as dire as he's leading the detective on to being. That's one of my favorite little scenes. Uh, Ken, what do you think? I liked the – it's a, actually two uh, two scenes back-to-back. It's the scene where all of a sudden uh, Agent uh, Cruzan busts in the door and goes, okay, whose guys are Soze? And verbal kid goes, oh, my God. I, I think his ex- exact expression was, oh, f-. Like, you know, he doesn't <laughs> want to talk about it. But then he goes like, well, who's Kaiser Soze? And they have that scene of – Kaiser Soze's origin, how he got to be the man he was. And I just thought that, you know, set the tone for the last half of the movie. Mark? One of my favorite scenes is, it, it one kind of bleeds over into the other, is it's early in the movie is when they're all in the lockup after their lineup. 
and they've all been thrown together. The, the monologue by Kevin Spacey about putting these guys together. And you don't really realize that there's an ulterior motive early on in the movie, but how they all are interacting in the lockup together. They all know of each other. One or two know each other, but they're all trying to figure out, could they come together to pull off this job? And then when they walk out and they're all watching Gabriel Byrne's character because they need him to pull this heist off. And they're all in different parts. They're all kind of around on the other side of the street, just kind of watching him like predators. Like, come on, ditch the babe, come with us. And it really kind of sets the tone for how all these guys interact with one another. Nice. Uh, I'll tell you what, guys, mine's kind of weird. Um, it's kind of morbid, but, um, I mean, I like the boogeyman stories. And I like the, uh, the, you know, the boogeyman story that he told about who Kaiser Soje is and where he came from, who he is, and why he has the reputation that he does. And, I mean, it, it's, it's a rough scene to watch. If you guys know what I'm talking about, you know, when, uh, when yeah, that's I'm, why I picked it, see. Yeah. It's, it's like, wow. That's okay. That's, uh, ooh, that's rough, but, um, it works. I mean, it, it sets the, it sets the mood of the movie that this is a guy that is not to be uh, trifled with. The whole time you're watching this thing, I mean, you believe this dude exists because you think that, you know, you're hearing, you know, the, the, the story from a guy that knows who he is. So yeah, I, I just thought that was a kind of a powerful scene, rough to watch, yet a powerful scene. One of my, just real quick, another scene that I really like is when the group thinks that they've got it figured out, or I'm sorry, they, they've been, they've been uh, kind of blackmailed into doing some things and they decide they're going to kind of take it back to Kobayashi and this Kaiser Soze guy and, and, and the plan that they come up with. And you, at least I thought, okay, you know what? They're, they're level in the playing field. They've, 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 they're turning the tables on them. You know, they're going to, they're going to at least have uh, a play in this. And then Kai or uh, Kobayashi, you know, takes him in or takes the group in so they can in fact see that, you know what? You think you had all your bases covered, but in fact, we still are one, two, three steps ahead of you. You know, he takes him in and shows him, uh, what's her name? Susie Ames character, you know, that, uh, you know, we, we have you at every turn. And it, and it, it lent to Steve, what you said, that cool thing about Kobayashi, you know, that like it put that, you know, that the mood that it set. And as the story keeps going, you know, you keep realizing you cannot outsmart Kaiser Soze and Kobayashi. They're always going to be a step ahead of you. Jeff, that is a very good point. Cause I, I mean, I really thought they're just going to off this dude right up there. And the thing that got me. That scene you were talking about, after he got done saying, oh, yeah, we're going to kill her, your grandfather, your, you know, we may castrate only your nephew. I mean, he was going down the list. Then he walks in that room, sits down, and then he just, like, stops and looks up like, we're done here. Uh-huh. That look was awesome. It's the moment in Tombstone <laughs> where... yes. Where Doc Holliday looks and says, you can go now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
the other part about that is he very politely tells them in a non-menacing way. I mean, it's not like he's threatening them. You're playing checkers, gentlemen. We're playing chess. Yep. I mean, they're smart guys. It's not like these guys are are good fellows, knuckleheads. They're right. not. But they're playing with people who are at a whole order of magnitude greater than them. And the, right. and the looks on their faces reflected back in the glass yes is like oh shit right and and that scene there with the photography they said that is one of the most difficult shots to get the multiple focus points that they had to shoot with that to be able to shoot past the reflection in the windows and be able to get the shots of them sitting in there it it was it's it's a beautiful shot, and I was listening. I think, like I said, to the uh, to the commentary, and they were just talking about how difficult it was, and and what they had to do to get it. And it took you know several takes, but but they finally got exactly what they were looking for. And that right there is what I mean in the beginning when I said that this movie was well thought out. They knew what they wanted to do. There was such care taken that every shot was scrutinized it wasn't just okay get these guys talking and then we'll you know we'll pan over here get these guys talking we'll have him we'll see him walk in here and then it'll be done they had such intent to show this movie in a certain way that it i really appreciate the the artistry for what they wanted to put on the screen for us agreed yeah it was nicely done (sighs) all right guys uh, it is now time after that great exposition from jeff on the photography, because Jeff is a photography master. I I just like it. Yeah, that's all. All right, so guys, we're going to move on to uh, brother, what you drinking? And uh, Jeff, because you weren't oh. here last week, what do you got, sir? I'm I'm just a man of first tonight. You are. Uh, you're on the you, spot. Steve. You're on the spot. Man. Well, I was at uh, I was I went to Trader Joe's yesterday to get some uh, raw cashews, and I was like, you know what, I got a podcast tomorrow night. I haven't been there in a while. I'm going to get something special. And they didn't really have anything special. So I had to get something different. And I got um, the Trader Joe's Joseph's Brow, uh, which is their their line of craft brews. I got their Hellerbach. It's a, a golden Bach beer. Uh, the box I'm used to are more malty. They're the darker kind. This is the kind that you can uh, see through like, like a like a Budweiser. It's not a Budweiser, but um, it's a it's a pretty clear beer, and, and it caused me to do some some research on the different types of box out there, and I didn't really realize the level of box that um, and the types. But this Hellerbach is a it's a it's more of a spring Bach beer. From what I knew, most box are you know you have your stouts, and my basic understanding for box is they were the remnants of everything else that was harvested. <laughs> and they use those to basically create box. And um, so I'm used to the heavier, darker, malty type of uh, box. But this one here is, um, it's, it's, it's nice and refreshing. I don't want to say crisp, but it's, uh, it's a little bit hoppy, but not too bad. Actually, it's not bad at all. Um, it's a very smooth beer. I do enjoy it, and it comes in at a respectable 7% alcohol by volume. Holy cow. For a Bach? That's impressive. Yes. 
it is impressive. Mark, what do you got? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I thought, dear God, he's going to mention the beer I'm drinking. <laughs> I, I, too, was at Trader Chase, and I picked up a Joseph Brow six-pack, but I picked up the Dunkelweizen. Oh, yes. Filtered I... beer. I, I got to say, this is probably one of the best wheat beers, unfiltered wheats that are around. It's the amber version. Um, it's not the golden version. It's 5.2 alcohol by content, so not great in the sense of ABV, but one of the best flavored, you know, because these kinds of unfiltered wheats have got kind of that banana flavor, but it's not one of those overpowering banana. This beer is one of my favorite uh, wheat beers. They really do a great unfiltered wheat. Um, so if you're looking for something that, like you, Jeff, kind of a little lighter heading towards hopefully we'll see spring soon. Their Dunkel Bison is great. So another another thumbs up for the Trader Joe's brand of beer. And nice. it's cheap. It was like Yes, it was cheap. Seven bucks or something. I think mine yeah, mine was yeah, six ninety nine. What beer do you have, Steve? All right. Sure. All right. Well, yeah, actually I was I was a little nervous that Jeff was gonna get this one, but uh Sun King. My favorite brewery here in Indiana has the Ring of Dingle Irish style stout. The Ring of Dingle. The Ring of Dingle. No, it's a it's a good stout. It's uh, just saying it's not cheap. When I uh, there was I should have known when there was no price tag under. I was like, well, I'm just taking my chances here. But you know what? It's Sun King. It's a stout. I'm gonna get my I'm gonna throw it out there, and uh, it's pretty good. I'm not sure I like the Ring of Dingle name, but uh, right. that <laughs> yeah. sounds like I need a penicillin shot, but uh, <laughs> actually I might need one after I drink this beer. God knows. It sounds like it goes with, it would belong in like Ken's brass ring <laughs> bar strip joint that he goes to. Yes. No, well, like I, I was trying to say earlier, I, I once had the ring of Dingle, but some cortisone cream cured it up pretty quick. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, there you go, folks. That that's what well, I'm drinking no, tonight. Wait, is, is it in a four pack? Are they can, are they canning this, it's or the, is yeah, it in a box? Is it the, in the growler? Yeah, it's the standard uh, sunking four packs. Okay. All right, folks, that's it. Uh, that's that's what I'm drinking. They had to force it out of me. All right. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. All right, Ken, what do you got? Uh, last Saturday night, I went down to the historic Slippery Noodle, the oldest bar in Indianapolis, uh, to listen to blues. And a friend of mine was throwing herself a birthday party there. And it was a good time. Went down there a little early, grabbed some dinner, then listened to music, had some drinks. Uh, it's a hot spot. You know, big crowd. Had two bands going. Fun time. Stayed up fairly late. Uh, so uh, yesterday night, I had an invitation to go to the Taft Law Firm. Uh, that's a, a, a major Midwest law firm and uh, founded by the son of President Taft, Robert Taft, who was very powerful in political circles in his day. But they have a annual Lincoln's birthday party. 
And it's just a big mixer party, and they put on the dog. That's a free bar, free drinks, free food catered in, high-quality stuff. So I went and hung out and you know, ran into some people I knew. You know, get, got invited because a, a friend of mine works there. So that was fun. And then after that, we went down to the Plat 99 bar down at the Alexander Hotel. A very nice facility, uh, very stylish. Is pretty dead. Usually when I go there, I'm going on a Friday or Saturday. Well, we went Thursday and you know, no crowd. Last night, I was pretty much drinking rum and Diet Coke at the party and at the uh, bar. And tonight, I got home and watched the movie and did a few things and then uh, drank vanilla vodka and Diet Coke. And that's pretty much it. Nice. Oh, well, there you go, guys. That is... Uh... The end of Brother What You Drinkin', so we're going to move on to clips. Our favorite part of the show. All right, number one. You know what happens if you do another turn in the joint? I... your father in the shower and then have a snack. You're going to charge me, dickhead? <laughs> yeah, there's some salty language in this movie. Whoo! <laughs> Kevin Pollock is great on the snark. He is. He's very good. Uh, let's see, number two. His name is Verbal. Verbal, Kent. Verbal? Yeah. Roger, really? People say I talk too much. Yeah, I was just going to tell you to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so damn dry. Yes, he he's awesome. Oh, gosh. All right, next one. This whole thing has turned political. The mayor was here last night, the chief this morning. The governor calls, okay? I'm telling you, the sky is protected from up on high by the Prince of Darkness. Take my word for it. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. I like this one, guys. This is a, uh, you hear a lot of Hungarian in this. And my great-grandmother was Hungarian. She never spoke it, but uh, interesting language. That that means someone who can speak Hungarian. Yeah, he's awake. He's talking like a Thai hooker. What? Kaiser Susie! Kaiser Kaiser That's where you realize there's there's a story behind this guy's name. Did you pick up the Thai hooker part, Muncie? Oh, I got it. Yeah, that was just for you. Just so you know. I thought so. Yeah. I thought so. I, I was kicking myself in the beginning for not uh, leading in with that intro. Well, you know, when I heard that, I'm like, boom, that's Muncie's intro. That's, that's, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> You know, I got this Thai restaurant near me, and every now and then, you know, the, the, they, they give me this weird look because I've been in there for like 20 minutes, and I haven't bought anything. I'm just kind of standing there. <laughs> All right, next one. Can I get some coffee? In a while. Let's talk about the lineup. I'm really thirsty. I used to dehydrate as a kid. One time I got so bad, my piss come out like snot. I'm not kidding. It was all thick and gooey. Get your coffee. <laughs> He's... Here's the thing about this movie. He knows that his job is to annoy and redirect these guys constantly. And he does, and Kevin Spacey does a great job. All right, uh, let's see. Next one here. I like this clip. It's one of my favorites. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. Great quote. Uh, let's see. Uh, next one. Keaton always said, I don't believe in God, but I'm afraid of him. Well, I believe in God. And the only thing that scares me 
is Kaiser Soze. That is one of my favorite quotes from the movie. Isn't it? That, that's, yep. It's a great one. And, and guys, be honest with you, uh, most of the quotes from this movie are actually from Kevin Spacey because, you know, we, I mean, there's a lot of other dialogue, but, I mean, he commands the movie. All right, last quote. You can understand. That's him. Shut up. That's him. You hear me? I'm telling you, it's Kaiser Soze. I just had to play that thing because it's like every time somebody says his name, it's like in terror. It's like fear or terror. And I love the way they played that into this movie. You really got to get to the point where this guy is terrifying. He is. He's the Prince of Darkness. Yeah, an organized crime, that, that name strikes fear in everyone. Yes. It's kind of the, you know, from Tombstone, White Earp. You're White Earp. Oh, yeah. All right, folks, there you go. That We are done with clips. It is now time to move on to, Ken, the top movies of 1995. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start out. I got to correct a misstatement. I, I popped off earlier in the podcast saying, like, this movie, the, the, you know, the usual suspects was in the top ten. It was not. No. It did, it did okay, but it was not in the top ten. Wow. A, a few movies that didn't make the top ten, but which deserve a little comment. One was Braveheart. Mm. Not a top ten, but it was certainly, it came out this year, did pretty well. Wait, uh, wait. Braveheart did not make the top ten? Braveheart did not make the top ten. Wow. Yeah, I'm surprised. This must have been a banner year for movies. Actually, it's a, it's a lot of sucky movies. Well, it, yeah, <laughs> everybody went and saw Braveheart. Yeah, uh, I thought they did too, but maybe it's just guys all went to see it and the women stayed home. Who knows? Leaving Las Vegas, a movie I liked. Uh, a movie we did a review on that I think we all loved was Rob Roy. Oh, yeah. It, oh, that yeah. made the top 10? No, no. I'm saying these are movies I, that didn't make the top 10. I'm doing that oh. first uh, just to let you know that it's in there. I think Rob Roy brings back good memories. Great sword fight. But getting on to the top 10, starting at number 10, Jumanji. Robin Williams vehicle. Robin Williams, weird. Uh, it was, I, I think this was one of those early CGI movies where it's like, ooh, because we can CGI all this stuff, we, we need to. Yeah. Uh, number nine. A movie renowned as a stinker, Waterworld. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And a terribly expensive movie to make too. Yeah, it was a it was one of the bigger bombs of affectionately the 90s. known as Fishtar. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember when that came out, and it was like, ooh, it's Kevin Costner, big budget, sci-fi. Like, what the hell? It's a guy with gills? and <laughs> But it did have Dennis Hopper chewing up scenery, which has some appeal. Uh, number eight, Casper. Are you kidding me? A forgettable movie, but it did well. I didn't even realize it was a movie. Yeah, they made a Casper movie back then. Okay. It's, yeah, aimed, aimed at the, the family and kids market. I mean, it's, uh, it did quite well. Uh, number seven is seven. Okay. 
number yeah, that, six. That got a lot of play. Yeah, it did. Number six. And that, a thing about this year is once you get into the, the top seven, they're all like neck and neck. I mean, there's not a whole lot of financial take difference when you're looking at you know box office. Uh, number six, Batman Forever, the Val Kilmer Batman. Yeah, kind of painful. Number five, I actually sort of referred to this sideways earlier because it shares a a trait with Guardians of the Galaxy, and that would be Pocahontas, the raccoon talks. <laughs> uh, number four, actually a movie I enjoyed a lot. It was the reboot of the Bond franchise. Bond, there hadn't been a Bond movie for six years, and this was Pierce Brosnan's first Bond movie. It was GoldenEye. I wouldn't actually call that a reboot. That was a continuation of the schlocky Bond movies with the new Bond. Continue. Number three, I, a movie I think we all would agree is a great movie, and one that we probably ought to do someday Apollo 13. Oh my god, yes. Absolutely. That that's been on the list for a while. Why have we not done that? Muncie, I blame you. Um that's because I'm to blame. Yes. Nat, we'll get it on there for uh, next week. Well, what will right. happen is Steve will wake up tomorrow from a booze-induced fog and he'll look on Netflix and he'll guess that Apollo 17 or whatever it is about the alien moon landing conspiracy. Well, I think what it truly was is there's just not enough character development for Steve. No, there's not. Apollo 13 is sadly lacking in that. They're moderately attractive women. So, yeah. Wait a minute. Uh, Archer is hot. Number two, Toy Story. Wow. I like Toy Story. Yeah, it's understandable. And number one. I'm sorry, it's a cartoon. Nope. Nope. Not a cartoon. It's a story. Story. It's a story in animation. With characters. Yeah, great character. Great character development at that. Yep. And in its day, I mean, in terms of the way they filmed it, I mean, it was a groundbreaking CGI movie. Oh, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing show. Okay. And number one, and I think we need to talk about it for just a minute, for its various pros and cons, Die Hard with a Vengeance. No. Is that the third one? Second one. No, third one. Third one. Well, hold on. Let me, actually, let me check. I thought that was the third one. Not the one with the airport. That's the, then it's the third one. This is yeah. This is a one where like they steal the gold in New York City. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. Jeremy Samuel L. Jackson was in it. I mean, really, Die Hard was great, and then every sequel was just beating a dead horse. Worse and worse. You know, it that became the Friday the Thirteenth. Is what. But nonetheless, it it, it still was the number one movie of that year. How. Thank God I was a drunken stupor back then. Good Lord. What's new? Oh, sorry. Was I monologuing again? Yes, you were. Muncie, how many times? Sorry, I didn't stop you. I didn't stop you. My fault. It's my fault. 
All right, folks. Well, there you go. That is the uh, that's the top ten movies of 1995. My God. All right. Well, there we are. We're done. It is now time, ladies and gentlemen, to move on to the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. Number one. Did anyone jump out of a window? McManus smashed out the windshield of a police car and did stuff to the cops inside, but he didn't go through it. Yeah, I'm not counting that one. No, sorry. Overruled. All right, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? No. No. Yes. You know what, Steve? All right. You're right. You are correct. She was the Liv Tyler role there. And, and it actually is the reason that we created the Liv Tyler role. Because I, I, I hate where the, the motivating factor in some of these movies is the, the love interest. And I brought this up to Mark. You, you know, had Gabriel Burns character been focused on what he needed to be focused on, which was, um, you know, you know, keeping his eye on the prize. Um, it's like much like Robert De Niro in uh, Heat. Once he got a woman in his life, he totally took his eye off the objective, and that causes ultimate downfall. I don't see that as meaning that she's a Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler is completely irrelevant. That force, I I don't see it with this one. No, I, I'm with Mark. I think it's I, it's a necessary role for the, the show and the progression, and it does set up some great scenes. I always view Liv Tyler as completely irrelevant, and the actress can't carry off the role. She's not I, – I don't see it in this one. I would have to agree with uh, Mark and Ken, as much as it pains me, Jeff. But, yeah. All right, uh, let's see. Next one. Son of a bitch must pay. That's not the next one. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> how that got in there, I have no idea. Uh, all right, next one. <laughs> was <laughs> was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? No, no. too too high class. Was that what it is? <laughs> I'm thinking it is. All right. All right. Uh, next. Could the female role be better played by Tawny Katane? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Could have done that role. Sure. Anyone. Because she had like yeah. three lines in the whole movie. And then she had to like fake talk through most of her role. So fake talk. Just say it. God. <laughs> All right. Was there a montage in this movie? Yes. There was. Muncie, I mean I, I'm I, gonna su- I'm gonna suggest that okay. the whole in- interrogation scenes are mon it's a montage. Because it goes back and forth, back and forth, and it's the it's the passage of time of them interrogating them slowly but surely. I'm going to throw it out to the uh, 
to the other two. What do you think? You buy this bullshit? I mean, his... Uh, his <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it bounces all around back and forth. I mean, they're not taking them into a room and doing any sort of interrogating and taking them back out. I mean, it's 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 back and forth all over the place. It's a montage of the it is a bunch process. of just little, it's a bunch of little scenes strung together to apply something that's happening in a longer period of time, which is one of my things I look for in a montage. So it's I see where it is saying. It's no more a montage than the whole uh, interrogation scene in L.A. Confidential, which I didn't really think of as a montage. Yeah, it's it's I I mean I see what you're saying, Jeff, but it is not the it's not the montage that would define the checklist. So yeah, I I gotta go with these guys on that one. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are just wrong, but that's fine. I mean, yeah. I've never I've never been opposed to taking the three of you on at one time. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Okay, right. fine, fine. All right. All right, and last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? Well, gentlemen, there was not one but two that I found worth mentioning. Wow. Really? Dose. All right, let's hear it. All right. So the first one, hang on a second. Let me, on. let me get, get everything set up here. Is there going to be sound go. effects or? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Visual, visual aids. Okay. Or... So the, the, the first one that I'm going to mention is actually is a script supervisor. Now that might sound mundane and, and blase. However, she, uh, her name was, um, it was uh, uh, Haley McLean, and she was the script supervisor in this movie, and she was a script supervisor, oversaw the script in um, 66 of the Babylon 5 episodes. Well, she had an impact then. I think she had a significant impact. Now, that said, um, there was actually an actor. His name was Morgan Hunter. And in this movie, he was, um, he played um, Arkash Kovash. Great name, by the way. And in Babylon 5, he was in one episode and he played Private Kleist. Was it the Gropos episode? Oh, now you're going to make me check that. Fine, fine. <laughs> Clipped off of that. Was his character in this movie the the Hungarian that was burned in the yes, hospital? I believe so. He might have been in Gropos, which would have been, I think, season two. Yeah, Sorry. he was. He was the one that was beating up the one. Um, he was in yeah Gropos. All right, nice, very well done. There you Jeff. have it. You actually got a couple. I didn't think there would be one in this one. Yeah, right. It was at the right time, ninety-five, yeah. and there was a like I said, there was a lot of people in here. I felt good about it. I like that script supervisor. That's a nice touch, Jeff. Sixty-six episodes. Can you that, believe that? That's wow. pretty impressive. It's almost the entire series. Yeah. All right, guys. That is it with the uh, the man cave movie review checklist of this great fantastic film. It is now time for the review. All right, guys. Who wants it, Jeff? I've done too much tonight. I can't do any more. I can't carry this show any longer. Ken, 
Take it. Thank you. I, I'm going to phrase it to someone else. Mark, you've got it now. Son of a bitch. <laughs> you've been sitting back there quiet. Yeah, you've been quiet most of the night. Get some, get some air time here. Uh, this is an iconic movie. Uh, it, it generated a lot of buzz amongst people because of the, literally the jaw hitting the floor, um, unveil at the end of the movie. It's a very well acted character movie that, as we've all discussed, you have some great actors put Kevin Spacey on the map as arguably one of the finest actors in the late 20th, early 21st century. Uh, great story with a perfect set of pacing. It's one of these movies that has a lot of talk, but interspersed with some very interesting action um, that keeps the movie propelling forward. And you're Always, even if you know how this movie plays out, you're always watching for uh, little takeaways, little hints in this movie um, that make you go, oh, wow, if I'd really understood that was what X was that equaled Y. And we reference some of those. And it's it's not done in a smug way. A lot of these movies get caught in their own trap of being too smart by half um, for themselves. It doesn't. It doesn't play down to the audience, and it doesn't get smug and um, try and pull one over on the audience. It's it's a very you know. And I'm going to use the phrase. It's a very self-assured movie um, that doesn't. The only thing that gets old in this movie is looking at the cell phones and the fax machines. Other than that, this movie is this movie's iconic. Uh, it. It goes up there in my book with Heat and L.A. Confidential as what I would call new film noir. Those movies that came out in the the 90s and the early aughts um, that we don't see. I I think the studios have really just decided to become blithering idiots and just regurgitate crap by and large with a few exceptions. And they don't produce movies like this that take their time because, again, this is a movie that takes its time. So great actors. Great story, great plotting, um, wonderful twists. And I'm going to give this movie a nine and a half. Wow. Putting it up there. You know, it kind of set the bar for a lot of these movies that followed. So that's that's part of it. And it also really opened the door for some actors that have gone on to do some incredible work since that time. Uh, any follow-ups, any, uh, disagreements or, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to give it that high. There, there are some, um, there, there's some, especially early on in the show, there's some acting, uh, uh, some, uh, just some kind of forced dialogue, I think. Um, it is, it's a good show. It's a very good show. It's, it does take its time, but I think, uh, it it um, could have cut out a few, just a little bit in in the middle. I think they kind of hit home on some some points a little too much. But I think as a package deal, as far as the um, 
definitely the the writing and and the the cinematography and photography of this and the arrangement of the movie is just outstanding um i would say eight and a half to a nine um right in that range still think very highly of this movie um but nine and a half probably a little too high for me ken i was gonna give it a nine uh for the reasons stated before okay nice uh Guys, I, I, I'm going to be the low man on the totem pole here. Uh, 7.75, mainly because it took me, and again, maybe because I'm slow, like verbal, it took me about two viewings to go, oh, now I know what's going on. Because like I said, yep, got to pay attention. Don't make a ham sandwich. Just sit there, watch the screen. Don't move. And you'll get it. And when you get it, it's great. It's a great movie. Sounds good. All right. All right, folks. That's it for the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 144. Check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. Leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or did not like it. And you can uh, follow us on uh, Twitter and look for us on iTunes and Stitcher. So until next week, I am your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. I'll probably ship blood tonight. Slover. The greatest trick this podcast ever pulled was convincing its listeners that it mattered. <laughs> nice. Now, Mark, this time, can you say it with more feeling? Muncie. Kaiser. Oh, hey! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, and also saying farewell and adieu is our other very good dear friend, Ken, the Prince of Darkness. Roni. Yeah, he's become a myth, a, a spook story that, that, that people tell their kids at night, you know, rat out your, your uh, pop and Kaiser Steve will get you. <laughs> and no one really believes. Nice. Or, oh, let me try my other one, which is, you know, the four of us are pretty talented. And, you know, I think what we need to do is form a barbershop quartet and go to Skokie, Illinois. <laughs> you know, I hear they have Guatemalan coffee that's really good there. Wow. All right, and last and certainly not least, Jeff, he's talking like a tie hooker. Muncie. <laughs> you talk, oh, you talking about the one the one hooker with the dysentery? <laughs> Get me the hell off this podcast. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it with the, uh, the Man Cave Move Review of uh, The Usual Suspects. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. We will be back next week. Until then, ciao. for you guys because I don't usually buy beer and growlers how long will a growler keep if you keep it refrigerated one night
Uh, okay, Ken. Uh, okay, I I can speak because I'm not an alcoholic. Um, if you what? if you no. tighten the lid up really tight, no. Um, I, no, I, I'm talking about. I bought the growler. I never cracked the, the lid. No. I just put it in my fridge. I've I've had it. I've had stuff like that last for two weeks. Bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, you drink Dr Pepper, so there. You well, go. I, I, I look. I don't have you know. I don't. I don't have a growler a night for for my my dinner. So, and keep in mind, a lot of those beers aren't pasteurized either. Okay. Well, it's, this one's probably shot then. Probably skunk. Uh, it's probably. I'll have to crack it open and see. Did you say a night you kept it? No, no I've had it for like a month. Oh no, 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 oh. no, no, I, no! I wouldn't. I sort of stuck it in the fridge and forgot it was in the back. So. Here's what I do. I, if I open it up and it's still got some carbonation in it, I figure it's fine. If I hear the little pss, I'm, I think I'm good. I, I'll yeah, tell you well, what, I haven't died yet. Growlers are not meant to be stored. It's not, it, you're supposed to take it, go home and drink it. Yeah. Again, I, I put this in the fridge and this sort of stuff got shoved in front of it and I forgot it was there. I just noticed it. I still got it. Can? Yes. You have failed me for the last time. Sorry, I, I I can toss beer. It's bad, <laughs> but not vanilla vodka. No, vanilla vodka doesn't go bad. I was gonna say that stuff lasts forever. I it mean, can be hot, it can be cold. I mean, you yeah. can drag it behind the car. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do to it. No, it's like an AK forty-seven, dude. That's right. Yeah. Or ramchata. You just you drag it behind the car. Fifteen <laughs> women chasing after you if you drag it behind the car. Rum shot is a popular beverage. 